Friends, I am excited to be here with you to share the word of our God. I'm grateful to Pastor Jim for the opportunity to allow me to come and share the word. I remember over 20 years ago standing here with the elders of of Calvary Church laying hands on us as we left with one of your former pastors, Pastor Marvin Williams, to go plant Tabernacle Community Church. And it is a delight for me to be able to come back and stand here and share the word with you. I want to say that I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters across town at Tabernacle Community Church in Alger Heights. Amen? Amen. It is my joy to stand here and I am really excited to be able to open the word of our God today because I believe this, there is a word for you on this day. You are going to meet God, and I know to meet God is to change. So none of us is going to go home the same way we came in. Because God is going to speak to us. I know you are traveling through the book of Matthew. So last week, Pastor Jim stood here and taught from Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. And there, he shared with you that God is in the business of doing new things. Growing us deeper and deeper with his son, Jesus Christ. And today, my privilege is to continue on that journey in Matthew chapter 9. And we are going to look at verse 18 through 26. If you are using the Pew Bible, this will be on page 790. And if you are using your own Bible, you can find the page number, but it's Matthew chapter 9. Amen? And as you are looking to get to that chapter, I want to share with you some of the people that you are going to meet as we read this chapter. We find incredible things that Jesus is doing, continuing in this story in Israel, and things that were never done by anybody else before him. He's the only one who did the things that are described here. We meet several characters And we're going to talk of each of them here today, this morning. We meet several characters in this this passage. Here we find the synagogue ruler. We find his daughter. We find the disciples. We find the woman with the issue of blood. We find the pipes players. We find the crowd. Oh, let me tell you this. We find the crowd. And you and I are found here as well. We are represented in this text this morning. We are in this story This is our story, and we find ourselves in this story. Amen? So as we go through the text, find yourself. You're going to find where you are actually depicted in the text. Some of the things you may even be doing today, you're going to find them in this text. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read to your hearing. Starting with verse 18, I'll stop at verse 26. Follow with me if you would. While he was saying this, while Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and also so did his disciples. Just then, 
A woman who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his clock. She said to herself, if only I touch his clock, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and his response, take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had gone, had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the regions. Amen? Amen. So here immediately, as Jesus was saying this, the synagogue leader, the synagogue ruler comes and kneel before Jesus, seeking relief from the deeply human needs that we all face, sickness and death. The woman with the issue of blood comes and kneels and touches Jesus, seeking relief from the humanly deep need that we all face, sickness and death. They both humbly approach Jesus in faith, seeking relief and healing from the felt needs that we all face. Now, before we go too much deeper into this passage, I want to give you this idea. And this will be like considered the big idea of everything that we are going to talk about here in a few moments we have together. What is this? The big idea is this. Desperation. Desperation can build great faith that leads to salvation. Desperation can build great faith that leads to salvation. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage, and we are going to need to read it very carefully if we hope to hear what Matthew has to tell us. What is this Matthew is telling us? He's telling us things like this. He's telling us about life. Matthew is telling us about life in this passage. He's telling us about pains that we meet in this life. And he's also telling us of God's response to life. He's talking about life, he's talking about pain, and God's response to the things that we face in life. First off, Matthew does not identify the synagogue leader who came to kneel before Jesus. If you look in parallel passages in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that this man has a name. His name is Jairus. So all the three evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, indicate that he came to see Jesus because he had a human need that we all face. Therefore, what did he do? He sought out Jesus. His daughter had just died, leaving him with an aching void and tremendous grief. In his pain, in his grief, he turned to Jesus, believing that Jesus can do something about where he is. Let me tell you, friends, there's no pain like the death of one's child. 
It stands in contrast of the order of life. Yes, it is appointed for all people to die. However, in most cases, parents go before their children. The death of a child is a very painful event. And Jairus knew this firsthand. He knew that it is a very, very painful event. So what did he do? He knew that Jesus could also reverse the effects of death. This is the reason he came and knelt before Jesus in public space. Probably not as much as we may think that he came to worship Jesus. Because Jairus was the synagogue leader. And Jewish people believe in only one God. At this point, they had not believed, and many have not believed that Jesus is God, the Son of God, so he could not have come to worship him. But he knew that Jesus could impact where he was. So he came. He came and knelt before Jesus, believing that this man may have supernatural abilities to resuscitate my daughter. Now get this, for a grown man like him, for a grown man like him to come and kneel before an itinerant preacher, itinerant preacher with no name, to come and kneel before him, it is because he believed that this man, this Jesus could impact his life. Now Jairus had a large cloud. He had a lot of influence. He was a synagogue leader. We can look in the book of Acts and we find that this cloud, this influence continued on. Acts chapter 13, verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophet, the leader of the synagogue sent our word to them. Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. A synagogue leader he was well known. He was important. He was a very important person in the community. So Jairus was among the people who were leading the synagogue here in Capernaum. What did they do? He was responsible for the administration of the synagogue itself. For the care of the synagogue. Supervising worship. The running of the school days at the synagogue. And finding rabbis to be able to teach there on the Sabbath. He had a huge role in community. And the synagogue actually held all people together because that's where the worship rituals were taking place. Therefore, it is a big deal for him to come and kneel before Jesus. Why did he do it? Because he was desperate. He needed Jesus' help. He was desperate. Desperation brought him to come and kneel before Jesus. May, let me ask you this question. What are we desperate for? What are you desperate for? Now, no one else can answer that question but you and you alone because you know the journey you are on. You know the journey you are on. But my question for you is what are you desperate for? May the sickness and death of our relationship bring us to Christ who is able to resuscitate them. We could say this. We could say this. We could say that it took humility. We could say that it took faith. 
We can say that it took courage, it took conviction, and I will add that it took even desperation for Jairus to come and kneel before Jesus. He came because he was desperate. Now, as he came and talked to Jesus, he got a surprise. Because I don't know if he actually believed that Jesus was going to do anything. So he got a surprise. Surprise that Jesus agreed to go with him to his house. He says, I am going to go. This is what the scripture tells us. Jesus says, I am going to go and to lay hand on your daughter as you have requested. As they began to go, his hopes are lifted up. Jesus has said, yes, he's going to go to the house. As they began to go, suddenly... On our journey going there, there comes somebody else who put themselves in the story. There comes a woman who interrupted what Jesus was about to do. Comes in the presence of the crowd, comes through the crowd to, to come and touch Jesus. The woman has been subjected to the issue of blood for 12 years. Again, you read Mark, you read Matthew, uh, it's just, just quickly says what's going on. But you read the other Gospels, you're going to find out that this had been going on for a long time and that this woman was seeking help from everywhere. What did Jesus do? Jesus stops. Interrupted, stops and obliged himself to be able to respond to, the ending, to this particular interruption that this woman brings. So if you are writing stuff down, this could be point number one in your notes if you're writing stuff down. Jesus is accessible. He is accessible and available to those who desperately need to reach him. He is. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from what he just did? I can learn this. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. He does not look at people as interruption. For us, for others, this could have been, I got a mission. I got to reach Jairus' house. But along the way, this woman comes, interrupts the journey. And as interrupts the journey, Jesus responds and is about to attend to her needs. So I put a pen here and I ask myself this question. How about me? Then I ask myself this question, how about the people at Calvary? Are we willing to be interrupted when a need is presented to us? Or we will say, I got a schedule to keep. It's, it's Jerry's business. I got to reach his house. I got a schedule to keep. Or are we willing to be interrupted like Jesus did? Now, you know, in our fast-paced and busy lives, we most likely get distracted by our own concern. Then we lose a sense of compassion for others. So, friends, I want to tell you, we need to take time. We need to take time to observe. We need to take time to notice. We need to take time to respond to individuals who we come in contact with. Because who are we? We are not the representative of Jesus. Is that right, Calvary? We are the representative of Jesus. So we need to take time. Whether it be a little child, whether it be a parent, whether an older person, we need to take time like Jesus did. 
Continue looking with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. This is what happens next. So Jesus is going this way. And I kind of shared this with you before, but I want to zero in on here to be able to see. They're on a journey. They're going to Jairus' house. Boom, suddenly. Then a woman who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years come up behind him. Behind him. And touch the edge of his clock. Now, why behind him? This is why. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, verse 25 through 17. Actually, the whole chapter. But verse 25 through 17. Hear the word. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues behind or beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean. As is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean. As during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes, bathe in water, and they will be unclean until evening. These were the laws that God had given his people. So this woman come up behind Jesus and touch the edge of his clock. Why? Because the bleeding would have made her and everybody else and everything else she touched unclean as Leviticus just tells us. She was effectively isolated from society and other people. She was effectively put like in prison and yet living with people. And the gospel tells us that this was going on for a long, long time. Mark and Luke tells us that she spent everything she had because she wanted and needed to be with people. To be touched and to touch others. But she couldn't. This led me to ask this question that I would like to ask us here at Calvary today. In our society, this woman would have been considered as an outcast. The gospel tells us she sought medical care everywhere, found none. But she took a risk. She took a risk. Venturing out into the public to seek help from Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes, I don't know, probably you've been here. Sometimes, sometimes we are tempted to give up on people or situations that have not changed for many years. However, let me tell you, God, God can change the things that we consider unchangeable. The things that we consider unchangeable, God can change them. 12 years of suffering, 12 years of isolation, 12 years of spending everything the woman had. She was in a state of desperation. This will never change. But something in her struck and says, I've got to go. I've heard of this man. I've got to go. So she went out at her own risk and went, the Bible tells her, from behind, touched the edge the clock of Jesus. And guess what? As she did, 
she experienced healing. As she did, she experienced healing. Uh, what I'm telling you, the Bible says it. Right here, verse 25, uh, 22. She turned, Jesus turned after she touched him. Jesus turned and saw her. He could have said, unclean, unclean, unclean. No, that's not what he said. Look at this, verse 22. He looked at her. I see compassion. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. That is a response that Jesus gave this woman. If you're taking note, this could be something to take home with you. Not only was Jesus accessible and available, but Jesus was also touchable. Leviticus tells us, anything and anyone who will touch this woman will be unclean. But Jesus touched her and she was clean. Jesus is touchable. Now, this may sound like a story way back then. And right now in Grand Rapids, we are thinking, what relevance does this have for us? Oh, it has all the relevance for us. It has all the relevance for us. Jesus is still touchable for those who desperately need to touch him. So you are here today. If you desperately need to touch Jesus, let me just invite you and inform you that Jesus is touchable. He is touchable. He was not ashamed to be identified with this woman. Nor should we be ashamed, we who are his followers, nor should we be ashamed to pay attention to those rejected by society because of different disabilities they may have. Those who may have mental disturbances, those who may have chemical dependencies, those who may have been incarcerated, we should not fear that we cannot touch them because Jesus was touchable and is calling us as his followers to also touch those who desperately need a human touch. Amen. He's calling us to do that. Jesus wanted and he still wants us to understand that the person is worth something simply because he or she is a person made in an image of God. This is the reason he treated Jairus with request and at the same time he also attended to the woman with the issue of blood. He clearly showed them and us something else that we need to pay attention to. Now I described to you and I took a lot of time describing Jairus and his role in community. Jarius was a very important person in the community. Jarius moved from place to place. He gathered the people in the community and the people gathered where he was. The woman, on the other hand, was isolated from community. But Jesus did not say, Jarius, we're going to attend to your needs. The woman who has issued the blood, you stay over there in the corner. No, he did not show impartiality. Jesus does not discriminate. He does not discriminate. He looks at the people made in the image of God and he says, they've got a need and I'm going to respond to their needs. Amen. Jesus is impartial. Oh, look at what verse 21 says. 
When the woman came, she said to herself, if only I touch his clock, only if I touch it, only if I touched it, I'll be healed. She was afraid of rejection, and yet she did not stay there, just live in her, the fear of rejection. She says, only if I touch this. She believed that an encounter of Jesus could prove helpful to her situation. So she approached him from behind, mind you, with great expectations for healing. Amen. So I ask a question. Have you ever made an effort? Have you ever made an effort where you find yourself? Now, you remember here, it's 12 years. That's a long time. That is just incredibly long. And they say, she spent everything that she had. So broke as well. Have you ever made an effort to be able to go and try to touch Jesus? What had hindered you? These are some of the things. Some of these things have hindered me. And because I'm human like you, I think they may have hindered you as well. What are some of the things that could have hindered this woman? There was a crowd there. Or you may say, no, I don't live in a crowd that hinders me. It could be a crowd of unbelief. It could be a crowd of unbelief for you. It could be a crowd of busyness. Life is too busy to go and find where Jesus is. Or it could be a crowd of entertainment. I'm tired. I'm isolated. I'm just going to dull myself with Netflix. And I don't mean to pick on Netflix, but it's stuff we go to. It could be entertainment. Or it could just be that my activities, I am so busy, and these things stand between you and Jesus. I'll press on you today. Like this woman did, pressing to Jesus, I'm asking you and asking you today that you say to yourself, if I only touch his clock, I'll be healed. Now, friends, much can be said here about theology of this woman. We can say she was superstitious, she was this, she was that. But one thing is clear, that she believed that Jesus can make a difference. Amen. So my question is, do you believe that he can make a difference? And if you do believe that you can make a difference, can you press on to him? Because as you press on to him, he is faithful. He is not partial. He does not discriminate. He is impartial. He is accessible and available, and he is touchable. So if you press on to him, surely Jesus is going to respond just like he responded to this woman here. He will respond. Look here, look here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. So Matthew takes us, so the interruption has taken place. Jesus has responded just like he would because he looked at this woman, made an image of God, having this issue that had been going on for a long time, says, I will respond. Look at verse 23. Now he arrives at Jairus' house. When he, Jesus entered this when he entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but they sleep. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. Verse 26 tells us, 
news of this spread out through spread through all that region after the interruption he didn't stop he continued on his journey until where he was going so finishing the story Matthew brings us back to the journey of the grieving father to the funeral house where the professional mourners had already started their traditional grieving process not much is said here but if you look in a parallel gospel where the story is told you will find things that are going on here and may sound a bit strange to your ears however what's going on here It's similar to what goes on in other parts of the world also. For instance, in my native Congo and other neighboring African nations such as Zambia, the community gathers at the home where someone has just passed away and there is a loud wailing, loud crying, especially when the new mourners just arrive. So that was going on here. But Jesus comes and says, sees all these people playing pipes, wailing and crying. He says, go away. She's not dead, but they sleep. The next word is, they laughed at him. Oh, let's bring it to where you are. Let's bring it to where you are. When Jesus wants to work on your situation, there may be people who laugh at you. They will laugh at you that what kind of superstitions do you live, what kind of superstitious world do you live in? Don't you know reality that these things do happen and no one can make a difference about them? Oh, that, those may not be your friends. Probably it may just be your own heart telling you this. This has been going on too long and I've lost hope. It's not going to change. The Lord is not going to help me. He doesn't care about me and anything about me. So little voices will come inside of us, voices of unbelief. Sometimes demons, I will say, even well-meaning friends may say to us, it's not going to happen. They try to discourage us to move toward Jesus. You may look and say, my kids have run away. Probably I brought them to this place and they heard the gospel preached and at one point they said, Jesus, we want to be with you. And then they go away to whatever place, college, other cities and other places and they turn their back on Jesus. Or maybe a young person here having a struggle, a tug with mom and dad and things are just difficult. You're thinking this will never change. But let me tell you, Jesus changes unchangeable things because he is able. So Jairus comes and pleads with Jesus. In his deep grief, comes and pleads with Jesus and Jesus hears him. The woman with the issue of blood comes and pleads with Jesus in her own way by just saying, if I touch him, something will happen. She touches him and Jesus responds. What does this tell me? It tells me this. It tells me that Jesus came to save all of humanity from the effects of sin. And I mean 
all of humanity from the effect of sin. He came to save all of humanity from the effect of sin. So the question is, what is this has died in you? What is this you are desperate to see Jesus change? And on this day, Jesus is saying, bring it to me. Talk to me. I will change it. Because that's his mission. That's what he came to do. He came to save all of humanity. He exercised authority over sickness and death. And the Lord and giver of life, Jesus can extend and restore what has died in you. His compassion reaches out to bless the suffering and afflicted. And because his compassion reaches out to bless the suffering and affected, we can now lean on his promise. And you see that promise in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And I'd like to encourage you, my brothers and sisters. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word. So we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord Jesus, will certainly now precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself. The Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in a cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, friends, I want to tell you today, encourage one another with these words. And as we encourage one another with these words, we can then sing with the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 48, uh, 50, 54 through 58. When the perishable has been closed with unperishable, and when the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks to be, be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious in Jesus. He demonstrated it. Here in a gospel we just read and spoke of this morning. So before I take my seat, here's my question for you. What is this is dead in your life that you need to bring to Jesus in faith, believing that Jesus is able to resuscitate dead things? My question is this for you. What is, the, what is the issue or what are the issues that have held you for so long that you need to bring to Jesus? Believing that Jesus is able to change the unchangeable. 
Because he's able. He's able, my friends. Just in faith you come to him, he'll respond. He is impartial. Regardless of what status we have or don't have, we come to him, he will respond. He is victorious. No water might have defeated you. Jesus is able. Amen? Amen. Stand with me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you even now. Your love, care, and compassion is evident in a text we just read and evident in our lives. Your greatness makes our needs seem small. And your graciousness makes us come to you and be able to receive the healing that is for us. So we give you glory in this place. We pray, Lord, as we walk this week, may your spirit go with us. Make us desperate for you, Lord. Make us want you more than anything else. You are awesome. You are great. You are indescribable. These things we pray in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. And the people of God agreed and said, Amen. Amen.